Welcome to episode 97 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the vault studio on the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who until last week had never bought one of my books, John Scott Sloat. Doc, what's up? Well, we're in the pre-order phase still. Yes. I don't know if... I mean, that counts, I think. I think. Yeah? I think so. I don't know if my credit card's been hit yet, though. <laughs> okay, well, they probably won't charge it till it ships in uh, late November, probably. And so. usually it comes in a little lower uh, than than the pre-order price. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so what's going on with you, John Sloat? Just living the dream, you know? Uh, yeah. Extra hour of sleep. Yes, yes. Always a big fan of this particular time change. Yeah, my uh, my students seem to come to class refreshed. Yeah, a little more alert. A little more bounce in the step. It's just nice to come to campus when it's daylight yes. as opposed yes. to pitch black. Yeah, it'll be tough going home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I th- by this point in the year, I'm ready for that time change. I'd rather have that daylight in the morning when I'm getting up and moving about. Yeah. So. I, I woke up at four o'clock this morning, just <laughs> four fifteen. Yes, with, with with no alarm, and then I was like, oh, I need to go back to sleep and yeah. try to get another thirty minutes or so. Yes, um, and we are in the midst of a demon invasion here at Grace. These oh, two oh, weeks. oh! Doctorate of Ministry. Yes, we don't have. What, what else did you think I meant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what else could it mean? Um, yes, yeah. They're they're you know pastors getting their doctorate of ministry coming yeah. from all over the country and they yeah. have taken over the building so to speak. They have. There's yes. better snacks when they're here. Oh, always. That I always. poach. Sure, of course. Yeah. I mean, one of the side benefits of our job, right? Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Well, if you would like to get in touch with the show, you can find us on Twitter at @vnspod. Email the show variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on both Facebook and YouTube. Look for Various and Sundry Podcast. And we would love for you to leave us a glowing review and a five-star rating on whatever platform you access the show. It's been a little while since we've had one. Uh, end of August, yeah. 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 Oh, the one got deleted. Was that more recent? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Which that's still – Murky circumstances. I still don't understand it. (laughs) I don't know if someone just took it down, like the the person who wrote it took it down. You would have to think, right? Or Apple. Apple went like, (laughs) this is just aggressive. Why would this human do this? For booing the Mets? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Although I I did my fair share of booing (laughs) this year. Yeah. Yeah, well, speaking of sports, let's start with the NFL. Your Jets got absolutely thumped on Thursday night of last week. Yeah, and I mean our, you know, legendary quarterback, uh, Mike White, um, <laughs> yes. uh, was taken out with a hand injury, I think I think on the first or second drive. Yeah. So um, it was kind of a crapshoot from there. Yeah, absolutely. But we still put up some points. Offense looked mm-hmm. serviceable on a third-string quarterback. I mean, I mean – I, yeah, the offense looked a lot better than it has early in the season. The defense looked worse. Yeah. Uh, the Jaguars picked up their second win of the year over the Bills. That was a surprise. Yeah, 9-6. to six. Yeah, throwback game for sure. Yeah, yeah. Real offensive juggernauts happening yeah. there for sure. Yes. Um, Browns beat the Bengals in the Battle of Ohio. Pretty, Badly. Pretty convincing. Yes. Yes. 
it's a weird season. It is. We were just reflecting on that before we went on air. That yeah, it's just a weird. I mean, the Bengals were cruising along. They were. I mean, they they mm-hmm. should have beaten the Packers, lost in overtime, and um, they were in a good spot. And then they lost to the Jets. And then well, they ran into Mike White. I mean, <laughs> I come mean, on, obviously, obviously. Uh, and then now they've lost to the um, badly to the Browns. Badly they got to the thumped. Browns. Yeah, yeah, forty-one sixteen. So, yeah, I don't know what to make of that. It's it, and the Bronco, the five hundred Broncos beat the Cowboys, who who've looked great yeah, this year. Yeah, I I don't know, and it's also weird because I guess we're sort of halfway through the season. But with when we're playing 17 games, that just feels weird. Like there's no actual half – you know, when there's 16 games, yeah. it's like, oh, you played eight games. Well, some teams have played nine and some teams have played eight at this point. And just – again, that whole 17-game thing is just yeah. weird. I don't understand it. Um, and then uh, did you realize that the Arizona Cardinals are 8-1? and one? No, they sort of fly under my radar in part because um, – I, I never get to see them play because they're a are, West Coast team. Are their games actually televised? <laughs> Do they put the Arizona Cardinals? I see Cardinals highlights. On? I see highlights. So they must be televised somewhere. I mean, I mean, I've just, I feel like I know nothing about them. I mean, Kyler Murray running around and, making plays. And what's his name from Texas Tech as the uh, off as the head coach? Uh, Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah, the the offensive genius who mm-hmm. went like five hundred when he was a college coach. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We'll see how that how that shapes up. I mean, they're, they're they've got off to a strong start. I mean, um, I just again they're sort of off my radar. So you know, I I don't follow the NFL super closely. I don't play fantasy football. Do you play fantasy football this year? I used to. Um, yeah. A guy I went to college with would always organize a league for people that he went to college with, and mm-hmm. I would always be a part of that. But that stopped uh, two three years ago. Okay, so I, I'd be open to it if there are people out there that would like to invite me. To their uh, 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 fantasy football, I'm a bad player. I I lose. You want me in your? I mean, league. theoretically, we could set one up for the pod. We obviously now we can't do it now, but yeah, like, we can't do it now. But we could do it next year. We could do it for seasons. You know, we yeah. could, we could do. We can't do NBA right now, right? It's it's going, but we could do. I don't want NBA. That's too much updating. I know baseball is even worse, but like I I I can handle maybe once a week. So, question: Why don't they do college football, fantasy football? There is some. There it's is. Not, it's not very common in terms of very popular, but there is some. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Does Yahoo do it? Uh, maybe. I'm Have you sure. ever done it? Oh no, no, no. I that feels only, up your alley. The only fantasy football. Well, but here's the thing: it's that's even harder, I think, in some ways than well, harder maybe not. It it's different than professional football because you have such mismatches every week. Mm, so you got to play the mismatch. So if you've got a guy who's who you're looking to put up numbers, then you know you might have a team, you might have a guy, a wide receiver on one of your teams who well that team's favored by 30 points, 35 points. There are no 30 to 35 point spreads in the NFL. Sure. Even the the biggest perceived mismatches in a given year might get up to two touchdowns. Even then that's rare. That seems high. Yeah. Like a really high line for an NFL game is ten to twelve. If you mm-hmm. see that kind of number, you're like, whoa, that's that's up there. Mm-hmm. You don't see thirty point spreads, forty point spreads like you do in college. So that just makes it more complicated, I think. Yeah, no, that's true. You know, and then some of those like 
you might have a great player, but it only plays for a half because they're blowing out oh. the other team so bad, so they don't mm. play the whole game. So you might have a great quarterback who only throws for you know, two touchdowns and 200 yards because the other team's so bad that they're up 41 to, to three at half and they don't play the second half. Yeah. So anyway, hmm. it's just a different animal, just a little bit. So, well, speaking of college football, it's been a, um, it was an interesting weekend. Had a couple of uh, top 10 upsets, I guess. Top 10 teams losing, let's put it okay. that way. So Wake Forest the lone undefeated from the ACC who nobody believed in, they lost. Hmm. They were ranked eighth, I think. Nobody thought they were going to run the table. The ACC is atrocious this year. Hmm. Absolutely terrible. The other big upset was Michigan State. Sparty lost to Purdue. Wow. At Purdue. And lost by, what was it? It was by 10? Like it wasn't like a close... I mean, Purdue pulled away and kind of and and just maintained a good distance at the end. So, uh, fun fact: one of the offensive linemen at Purdue, mm-hmm. uh, his dad was my pastor when I was in high school. Oh, there you go. And the offensive lineman was like three feet tall when 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 I was in high school. Okay, he's no longer three feet tall. I don't believe so. No, I believe he's grown. Um, <laughs> yeah. I believe he's he's a he's a hoss of a man okay. now, yeah. and yeah, uh, probably was was good enough to to get a scholarship to yeah. Purdue. Yeah. So. Um, Purdue has the most wins in the history of college football as an unranked team beating a top five team. Really? Well, they have so many opportunities. <laughs> right. Right. Which is one of those stats where you're like, I don't know that that's a good thing. Yeah. Like, what does that tell you about your school? Like, if you're a Purdue fan, it's got to be maddening that it's not uncommon for you to, as an unranked team, beat a top five team. They did it to Ohio State a few years ago. A few weeks ago, they beat Iowa when they were ranked number oh, two. Oh, yeah. And yet, then they have these head-scratching, inexplicable losses to teams that they should dominate. Like, that's just got to be frustrating as a fan. Of, yeah, you know, that, your that would like be. That. Uh, so, Michigan State lost. Um, Ohio State survived Nebraska. What was the final there? 26-17. Ooh. Not a pretty game. I only saw the um, I only saw the first. Well, I saw the second quarter and the third quarter. Okay, so, so you saw so, the middle. Yes, yeah. And quick story. I was I, I spoke this weekend at a conference, and um, I was getting up to speak, and so the game was still going on. I had to shut my phone off with like four minutes left in the game. Oh my goodness! And Nebraska had the ball down six. Fourth and like five on their own thirty-one, and I'm like, oh, I gotta shut this off. I can't be getting alerts. <laughs> so I or text messages from your family, right? Or, right. Yeah. So I, throughout the whole time I'm I'm preaching, in the back of my head, this is terrible. Like periodically, it's popping into my head. Ohio State's gonna lose that game. Mm. Ohio State's gonna lose that game. Who would plan a conference and schedule you to speak? <laughs> I don't during know. the Ohio State football game. I don't know. Why would this happen? Well. That wasn't the strangest thing that happened at that conference. Oh, really? Should I, I mean, tell I, the story? I mean, yeah, I'm fishing. I, I, I know the yeah, story. I know. So this will this I'll try to keep it nameless. If someone really wanted to figure it out, they could do it. Well, just don't name the conference, and yeah. then yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm speaking at a conf- at this conference, and the idea was there were three main speakers. Yep. Uh, and each of us was given a section of a of, of one particular chapter in uh, 
in a New Testament book. I'll try to keep it as vague as wow, possible. Wow, that's very vague. <laughs> so the first speaker did his job, spoke on his portion of the chapter. And then I arrive and I'm I'm the third guy, okay? And so I get there in time to hear the second guy. And you're taking the end of the chapter. I'm taking the end the of last the chapter. third, let's yeah. say. And this guy is taking forever to get into the text. Well, finally he starts getting into the text and I realize he's preaching my passage. Mm-hmm. He, he misunderstood the memo somehow and he's preaching my <laughs> passage. And so I'm sending this panic text to my wife like, um, yeah, so you might want to pray the dude who's, who's preaching right now stole my passage. <laughs> and since mine was at the end of the chapter, it's not like, you know, like, what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> so in conjunction with the conference organizers, they said, you know what? I think you can just kind of go with what you had and <sighs> and try to come at it from a slightly different angle. And apparently God knew those students needed to hear, hear that passage yeah. preached twice. Mm-hmm. So never had that happen before in my in my ministry career. Yeah. I've had a building catch on fire while preaching. Yep. But I've never had someone just steal my passage right out from under me. Hmm. That's That's wild. Okay. So all that's going on while the Buckeyes are playing. (laughs) Um, So it'll be interesting. And Alabama barely survived LSU. The college football playoff rankings came out last week for the first time. And Alabama was a surprise number two, even Hmm. though they already have a loss. It's weird. Some of those rankings make no sense. If we have any University of Cincinnati fans – in the audience. I'm not sure if we do. Maybe we do. I think we have some listeners in Cincinnati. Um, I'm not sure they're fans. Yeah. But. Uh, they they kind of got the short end of the stick in terms of the rankings. But it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Let's – we need to hustle along here. NBA, what's going on with your Knicks? Um, they had a rough week. I, I saw they, they pro- lost to the Cavs yesterday. They Is lost right? to the Cavs yesterday, okay. but they – they beat the Bulls. I can't remember if that was last week or, or this week, but th- they had like a 500 week. So it's kind of it's kind of been a bit up and down. I think, yeah, there's some hope. There there's some desire for them to play better still. Yeah, and you're liking your boy Evan Fournier. Yeah, like knocking Fournier. down triples yeah. for you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, would like more consistency. I think. Yeah, um, looking for more minutes for Kemba as well. Derrick Rose is taking too many from him, in, in my humble opinion. Okay, all right. I'll uh, mention that to good old Tom Thibodeau next time I mm-hmm. have a conversation with him. So our main topic for today as uh, as a, in one sense sort of a follow-up to last week. Last week we talked about the end of uh, T4G, Together mm-hmm. for the Gospel. And as we kind of reflected on this, this is more my idea I think than yours. So I'll take the heat for this if it ends up being a flop. Yeah, if it's a train wreck, it's your fault. Yeah, it's all yeah. on me. I'll, I'll own it. I'll own it. Is to talk about the future of evangelicalism as a movement, essentially. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think a good place to start is with one of the more traditional definitions of mm-hmm. what an evangelical is. Uh, and so uh, there was a, uh, a scholar uh, named David Bebbington who came up with the famous definition. It's called the uh, the Bebbington Quadrilateral. Mm-hmm. Sounds sounds pretty epic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would love to come up with something in, in, in the scholarly world that they'd call the Harmon Quadrilateral. Maybe we need to come up with the mm, Harmon Quadrilateral yeah. on the pod here. 
In any case, he defined e- evangelicalism as sort of having four key components. Uh, conversionism is the first one, an emphasis on uh, personal and individual uh, relationship with God, essentially. Okay. Second is biblicism, a high view of Scripture as authoritative. Mm-hmm. Third is cruciscentrism, which is just a fancy word for saying cross-centered, yep. that the death of Jesus is central to our understanding of the Christian faith, uh, typically involving an understanding of Christ dying for our sins, penal substitution, usually a big piece of that. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth piece is activism. Uh, act- that, that one sounds the strangest out of the four. Right. Um, just being actively engaged in our communities, both in um, not just in personal evangelism, but also in um, what we might refer to as kind of social engagement mm-hmm. of helping neighbor kind of th- sort of things, being involved in food banks, food banks, you know, soup kitchen, job training, sure. all those sorts of kind of uh, activities. So, and that definition has kind of come to be regarded as somewhat of a kind of a standard with at some level. I mean, there's no like one person saying, yep, this is the definition we're going with. But uh, I, I think in some ways then, it's interesting to note how is that term evangelical used today mm-hmm. because it has its roots in an explicitly uh, sort of theological and religious um, context. Mm-hmm. But that's not always the case today anymore, is it? Uh, no, no. It's changed quite a bit or – the perception of it. I don't know what the right word is. It feels like there's a competing other definition that has come up. Okay. Um, and it seems uh, to, to me to have politics uh, and, and, and things like that at its center. Okay. Is that, is that, do you, do you yeah. see that as well? Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, I agree. Assertion. I think that um, the, the use of that term, especially in the cultural and political context, uh, has – has clouded what mm-hmm. what that term even means anymore to the extent uh, that in in many cases you have people today and I'm not making a value statement on this this is more of a descriptive rather than a prescriptive statement that there are people today who are saying the term evangelical is something that we as Christians probably need to abandon because it has such it has become so associated with certain political and cultural uh, associations mm-hmm. that it's no longer helpful for people who formerly would gladly identify themselves as an evangelical in the sort of uh, religious or theological sense. Mm-hmm. And and you brought up some interesting uh, data that kind of supports the shift in that term. Yeah, I actually just I actually just thought of another one as well. So I'm about to throw a fresh one at you. Okay, here. yeah, um, do it. So uh, t- two things that I think point this out. Uh, there's a book by uh, Tim Carney. Uh, are you familiar with Tim Carney? I'm not sure I am. So he's uh, America Enterprise American Enterprise Institute. Uh, I think senior fellow. 
Okay. Writes for the Washington Examiner, uh, a generally conservative guy. Uh, he himself is Catholic. Yes, he is Catholic. Um, he wrote a book, goodness, probably 2018, 2019, called Alienated America. Okay. Um, and he runs around and does research and is trying to figure out, like, how did we um, get to the point where we elected uh, the president that we elected in 2016? Mm-hmm. And so he's doing this research. And one of the pieces that comes up in the midst of this research is uh, that a sizable chunk of people that identify as evangelicals either rarely or never attend a service. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that to me, is, is, is a fascinating piece of, of data um, that, that I can't remember the exact number, but it's, it's, it's a sizable chunk of evangelicals that, that – of people that self-identify as evangelical that never uh, or rarely mm-hmm. attend a service. Um, and so I think that's one piece that's very, very interesting in this conversation. Yeah. The other piece um, is by a, a fellow named Ryan Berg. Uh, and he has a new book out called The Rise of the Nuns. I have not read it, uh, but he is a uh, American Baptist pastor mm-hmm. and a PhD in political science. Um, so he's a, he's a fascinating guy to be, to be doing some of this research. And we'll, yeah. we'll link this article in our show notes. Um, but his data is showing that uh, the use – so there's two questions on the survey. I can't remember the name of the survey. It's in the article. But uh, there's two questions. Uh, are you a Protestant? Are you a Muslim? Are you a Catholic? Like, like that question is there. And then there's a separate mm-hmm. question that asks the question, are you evangelical or a born-again believer? And, uh, and it's fascinating. Uh, in his article, he shows that there is a slight tick up. I wouldn't say massive – Mm-hmm. Tick up, but a slight tick up over years of people that are Catholic identifying as evangelical, people that are uh, Muslim identifying as evangelical, people that are Mormon identifying as evangelical. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, yeah, I, I don't know that there's any conclusions I necessarily want to draw from those two things. I yeah. think there are implications there, though, uh, and I think they're interesting. What, what are what are your thoughts when you hear some of those some of the some of those data points that are Interesting. Well, when it comes to survey data, I'm always I'm always interested in the um, you know digging down into the details. How are the questions asked? What are the questions? How are things framed? Mm-hmm. What kind of sample size? All those sorts of things. So I'm always hesitant to make too strong a conclusions. Sure. So th- these are just sort of let's assume for a minute that the that it's that the methodology holds up and mm-hmm. it's solid. I, I do think that it shows that the term – that how the term evangelical is used and perceived has has definitively shifted in our broader culture mm-hmm. away from it – I'll put it at least this way – away from a primarily religious or theological term to a – more frequently now, cultural or political term. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also curious in these, uh, and I, I can't remember. I only looked quickly at the article you sent me. Does that article do anything with the question of race? Um, I believe it does. Yeah, okay. it has those those things in racial categories as well. Because sometimes when we when when this issue is talked about in the broader sort of uh, realm. Uh, 
it's almost like white and evangelical are treated mm-hmm. almost as synonymous at points yeah. without recognizing that, you know, that as it's been traditionally used, evangelical obviously transcends white and black and Asian and whatever sort of other ethnic or racial kind of categories you want to try to use. But uh, I think it is something that we have to be aware of. You know, on the one hand, so part of the issue is do we still use the term? Should we still use the term? Is the term still useful for those of us who um, have have used the term in the past with the primarily uh, theological and um, religious sense? With the, not, with the Bebbington definition. Yes, with, yeah. not with the political sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think my frustration is I don't know what other word to use. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, that's part of the beauty of the term evangelical was that it it was a convenient label that people used to recognize as a religious or theological term, not so much a political term. And I think that's changed in the last probably – I know it accelerated I think since in the 2016 election. But mm-hmm. even in the in the probably the last ten years, that that's been accelerated. I think so. Um, do you want to give a brief like why is evangelical a theological and even historical word? Do you do you just want to give a brief? Yeah. So I mean, in the most basic sense, the term evangelical comes from the Greek word that uh, that means gospel. So we are gospel people. We are people who are committed to the. Uh, the proclamation of and the living out of the gospel. And so I think part of what was so what was so helpful about it is, at least as I understand it, what what we think of so, sort of the broader evangelical movement in at least one telling of it can be pinned can be can be sort of pinpointed back to um, the 18th century and the rise of the first and then the second uh, Great Awakenings, where you had this work of God, where people were getting experiencing powerful conversions through the preaching of people like Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, etc., even the Wesleys uh, sure. from the from the Methodist side of things, and that there was this growing sense of unity across denominational affiliations. So you had Baptists and Presbyterians and Congregationalists cooperating together in their common understanding of the message of the gospel. And that, I think, formed a, a foundation that continued on, has continued on until this day. Mm-hmm. And that even the, uh, you know, sort of the, one of the modern manifestations of that ends up being something like the gospel coalition, where you've got people across different denominational lines saying, we, we disagree on secondary issues, but on the primary issue of what is the gospel and how does someone get right with God, we agree. Mm-hmm. And we're going to partner together even across some of those denominational lines in the areas of social action and even evangelism together. Mm-hmm. So I think part of my interest in talking about this is what does this say about the larger – to use the term in its more traditional religious sense, evangelical movement. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking politics here. Sure. What, what what does the change in that term 
indicate? And even just what is the end of, a, of, of a, an event like together for the gospel? What does this say about the larger evangelical movement? Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, I think it, 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 it is a concerning thing. I agree, yeah. That there's there's fracturing taking place, and there seems to be a retreat uh, to to some more. Uh, I don't know what the right word is, but but uh, okay, the Presbyterians are going to siphon off and be with the Presbyterians. Mm-hmm. The Baptists are going to siphon off and be be a part of their own thing. And may as we're watching the Southern Baptists may may split in coming years. Yeah, um, you know the I'll, I'll use the Grace Brethren are gonna are gonna are gonna come off and be their own thing. You know, yeah. and, and not not. Engage more broadly and, and sort of segment out, um, right? And and I I don't think that's necessarily a, a bad thing. Like I, I think those groups should be getting together over mm-hmm. common identity and and, and yeah. those sorts of things. Um, but what does it look like to partner broadly with some of these institutions like right together for the gospel? But gospel I do coalition. think part of what's going to come out of this is because the fracturing is more rooted in cultural and political issues that there are going to be um, some interesting sort of new alliances that form across groups that are more that the, some of the litmus tests are changing, right? Mm. I mean, I think that's pretty clear. Yeah, I think litmus so. tests are changing. Are you one of us or not? You know, and a lot of those now orient more on cultural and political and social issues than they did 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I want to say part of that, I think, is it's the byproduct of everything in our culture has become political. Everything. Yeah. Everything is viewed from a political lens. And I, I would just say part of that is because... When you lose, when you lose as a culture, any sort of sense of absolute truth, all that's left is power, and so then it becomes we have to try to acquire power so that we can enact our agenda, mm-hmm. and as a result of that, uh, you, you get people who are no longer interested in um, trying to persuade trying to uh, advocate for truth so much as you get people maneuvering for positions of power and authority. Yeah. You, you, you know, so much of, um, if, if I can use politics in the broadest term possible, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in, in the absolute broadest, not, not necessarily relating to the state, but part of any movement was, was getting a bigger tent, yeah, uh, getting more people on your side, and that that seems to be lessening. Um, that seems to be going away. Uh, it seems to be that you don't need as many people, but you need fewer people that are more radical. Well, and I think that also the again the sort of the criteria for who are we going to partner with, how are we going to define who who we partner with, is getting longer and more specific mm-hmm. than it used to be. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it makes me wonder, you know, what is the future of an organization like the Gospel Coalition? Yeah. And I know, I know, I know they get, they get grief from all over the spectrum. Yeah. Some people think that they're too, for a lot, I hate this term, they're too woke. 
And others are like, you're not woke enough. Yeah, that and was it, the most old man you've ever sounded. <laughs> the way the way you just said woke. I just hate that term. <laughs> I'm not trying to get sidetracked on it, but um, I I think one one interesting part, and I don't know if I've told you the story. I I met with a pastor who was telling me the story of another pastor. So so it's a couple degrees removed, but yeah. he was saying that uh, he was meeting with uh, people in his church. He had back to back meetings, and he met with one family. And one family goes, listen, we're leaving the church. You're talking too much about race. And then the next – and, you know, he tries to reason with them and, but ultimately sends them off well, well wishing them. And next family comes in, hey, pastor, we're leaving the church. You're not talking about race enough. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it – I mean anecdotally speaking, I don't have any research on this. Uh, pastors seem to be considering leaving the ministry in, yes. in droves. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked to one guy who's been a pastor for 20 – 20, I think 20 years. And he's, he's thinking about uh, going back to school and getting, getting a trade. Um, yeah. It's understandable because you, you can't win. You, you, you just can't. can't. And, and that's just one issue. Mm-hmm. You know, add that as contentious as that issue is in our culture and add um, all the stuff associated with COVID. Sure. And multiple other sort of cultural issues and political issues where it's like, my goodness. And more and more, it seems like uh, pastors are just put in this no-win situation where if they say nothing, then they can't win. If they say too much, they can't win. Or if they just say a little, they can't win. Yeah. All three are political statements. Yeah. Yeah. All, all three are, are seen as political statements. Yes, yes. that's better. Yeah. I, I think another factor we haven't hit on is the growing distrust of institutions in our culture. Yeah. That, um, you know, if anything, over the past, you know, 10 years or so plus, there's just been a continual growing disillusionment with institutions, whether it's um, religious, whether it's educational, whether it's political, it doesn't matter. There's this growing disillusionment with, especially among, I think, a, a younger generation, right? So like probably Gen Z and then maybe the lower half of millennials mm-hmm. in particular, where it's like, well, all organizations, all institutions end up being corrupt, right? And this is sort of a, ah, just get rid of them all and, and – uh, and I think that hurts the the larger movement of evangelicalism because in one sense, it's built on institutions and yeah. institutions partnering with each other. So that's another factor that I think comes into play. And the, in, the, in, in a society, the church is an institution. You know, it, yeah. it is part of uh, – you know, one, one, one of the points uh, that Alienated America makes is that – Communities where there's high church attendance, there's there's a high degree of buy-in for community mm-hmm. things. Uh, there's less poverty. There's uh, there's less violent crime. There's 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 a lot of things that are lessened by having strong churches in our in our neighborhoods. Not you know backing away from even just the beauty of the gospel that that yeah. redeems sinners. Right? It's just it seems to be something very useful to our neighborhoods. Yeah. Well, neither of us certainly uh, consider ourselves to be prophets, so not, we don't know what's going to happen in terms of the the future of evangelicalism. But I do think uh, we will. Pr- Here's my guess: we will look back on that window from like 
2000 to 2015 as one of the heydays of the broader evangelical movement and partnerships mm. that I, barring an, uh, an unexpected work of God, I'm not sure we'll see that again anytime soon, maybe even in my lifetime. That yeah. same degree of unity around a theological set of convictions about the gospel yeah, uh, that leads to cooperation across different denominations and such. Uh, I, I, I'm by nature a pessimist to begin with, but I think um, I'd be surprised if we see something like that again in my lifetime. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think that's so fair. we will have a couple of links in the show notes to some uh, some resources on that. But we have reached episode ninety seven, and John, we need an athlete. Yeah, um, so let's let's tick them off here. Uh, Cameron Hayward on the Steelers. You recognize him, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, current player. Uh, Jeremy Roenick. I believe that's how you pronounce it. Uh, yeah, big tough guy. Um, okay, I listen to a sports radio show. Well, he'll come on and and. Hit, hit guys basically, um, guys that sort of like run the boards or whatever. They'll they'll ask him to hit him, and he's he's still like I mean he's been retired for over ten years, and I still think packs a uh, a good hockey punch, you know, yeah. good check. Um, Simeon Rice, he was a, uh, a <laughs> defensive end, uh, Cardinals, Bucks, Broncos, Colts. Uh, was quite good, Simeon Rice. Remember yeah. Simeon? A little bit, yeah. Uh, and then uh, do you got some Buckeyes you want to highlight for oh, us? Oh, do I have some Buckeyes. Do you want to highlight a few with the same last name? Uh, yes, I do. We've got Joey Bosa, defensive end from 2013 to 2015. He's on their national championship team. Third overall pick for the Chargers, and he was the NFL defensive rookie of the year. And then right after him, his brother Nick Bosa, defensive end from 2016 to 2018. Second overall pick with the 49ers and also the NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year. So actually there are three Buckeyes on this list, John, because Cam Hayward. Ah, Cam Hayward. Also also a Buckeye. Buckeye. Who do you like? Okay, so here's my proposal. Oh, boy. I think we should make it the Bosa Brothers. Oh, could you pick a favorite for me on air? Do you have a favorite Bosa brother? I probably lean towards Nick. The younger he's, brother. He's the younger guy. Okay. Yep. Um, I think – He went to the Super Bowl, right? Uh, yeah. Um, well, wait. Yeah. Yeah, he was, was in the, the, he was on the Super – it was his rookie season, I think. Yeah. But was, that was a great Niners defense. Mm-hmm. I'd probably lean towards Nick. But, I mean, they're both. Their dad, if I remember right, also played in the NFL. And they have a third brother. Is that right? I don't think so. No? Well, just if they if they do, he's not a football player. Okay. Okay. Much to the chagrin of the Ohio State football staff. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm fine with that. Okay, so I think we're, the Bosa brothers are better let's than go anybody else. Bosa brothers. Okay, all right. One thing you liked? Uh, I have been in a battle with a bad internet company at my house. Oh no! For the last year, um, if you remember, have I told this on air before? Where my neighbor got the same internet company and they ran the line on top of my yes. yard. Yes. And I asked them to come bury it, and they shoved it underneath my fence. <laughs> yes. And then I said, not good enough. Come back and bury it. Yeah. Um, the Another piece of that story is I 
you know, when, when you reach the end of your contract, the price goes up, right, on a monthly basis, and you call and negotiate. Uh, they refuse to negotiate with me. Interesting. That's a bold strategy. Um, and I, I said on the phone to them, you're the only game in town. This is your right. You can do this, and I'm going to have to pay it. Well, a new internet company is coming to Columbia City <laughs> at the end of the month. Okay. And uh, and Fiber? Fiber. Oh. 100% fiber. Let's go. And uh, and we will be joining the fiber movement. Okay. So new internet broad or new internet uh, okay. fiber optic company coming to, coming to the Sloat home. Okay. Yes. Well, that's something to look forward to right there. Uh, for me, I'm going to go with my uh, – my life ed class that I'm teaching at CCC. I'm walking through the gospel according to Luke. And I think we are nine weeks deep at this point. And um, it's a great group of, of, of people in that class. A pretty consistent crowd as well. Good turnout. And they, they it's a good combination of people who make good substantive comments, mm-hmm. but also ask good questions. Uh, it, it's a great dynamic. And, you know, as a teacher, you like to have a, a more interactive, engaged kind of group as opposed to just lecturing. Oh, yeah. Um, now, it can make it challenging to get through all the to material. Get through yeah, oh, yeah. the pacing of the material. But uh, but you've filled in for me in that class. Twice. Twice, yeah. twice now. And, and will in a couple weeks. Up. Not this upcoming week, but the following mm-hmm. week. So, mm-hmm. it's been a good uh, group. It is an excellent group. So I'm grateful to uh, to our church for giving me the opportunity to teach through that. It's also super helpful as I'm working on a Luke commentary. So it's always good to do the work in the text and then get a chance to teach the material. So you uh, take it out for a spin, so to speak. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So thankful for the my my guinea pigs there at church. Um, appreciative of that. So, so John, we have talked sports. We've talked about the future of evangelicalism. We have, we have peered into the future using our crystal ball and mapped out a detailed picture of what evangelicalism will look like for the next 50 years or not at all. Or just got more confused by the, by <laughs> totally. the, by the fog totally. in the ball. Yeah, totally. We've talked about the Bosa brothers two very dominant NFL defensive ends. And we have revisited John's battle with an internet provider. I have my own issue with an internet with my internet provider going on right really? now. Really? I do. I do. Yeah. So we'll name names after the pod. There you go. Yeah. I mean, we don't want to have to throw around the weight of the pod. Oh yeah. You know, we want to be careful about using the amount the of comments that, that would come. I mean, yeah, just the we, we don't want to sink necessarily these internet companies just by the sheer mentioning of their names. I might want to. I might want to sink <laughs> you might. the internet company I'm dealing with. Yes. All right. Well, I think we're ready to call Mission Accomplished here, wouldn't you say? I think so. All right. So uh, that means that all that is left to say is until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.